If you look around, you definitely see that some of us are still in vacation and traveling maybe after the spring break back home. We also pray for their safety. And indeed, last Sunday when it was Easter, I missed you. I was in my spring vacation kind of. Um, and you know what happens? You go and the sun is up, there's warmth and sunshine and uh, nice sand, and you just lay down maybe and say, hey, I'm just going to sit here on this blanket. And, and by the time the evening comes of the first night, you are like a red lobster, right? <laughs> and you say, what happened to me? You know, I cannot sleep. You know, there's no way. I can enroll in bed, you know, because it's pain. And then the whole week uh, or vacation time, you have uh, long sleeves and you don't let the sun to see you again. You kind of hide. You're in hiding. Well, um, I'm sure nobody else did that, right? Only me. This morning, we continue what Ron started last, last week. Um, what we continue is basically uh, the first, we, look at the, we looked at the first words of Jesus after his resurrection. And last week, uh, he looked at one, one phrase that he told his disciples who were in the same Sunday of the resurrection together in a room, in a locked room, and he appeared in their midst and said, Peace to you. They were afraid and scared, and he spoke peace to them. This week, we continue the, uh, the first word of Jesus, and we are going to look at... Uh, At another word of Jesus, sorry, to go back. And if you look in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 1 to 19, he starts with, um, you can do it Eric, there, uh, with these words. He basically says, feed my sheep. And three times he tells that to Peter. He says, feed my sheep. It's a call to service because before he gives him that mission, he says, Peter, do you love me? If you love me, then you can feed my sheep. If you love me, then you can take care of my lambs and protect them. If you love me, then you can feed my lambs. So this morning I would like you to... um, journey with me. And although there were other disciples there in John 21, I want you to focus on what Jesus does with Peter. The first thing that he does with Peter is he goes back to his past. And although we will start the story, and it's a narrative that starts in verse 1, I want you to read these verses with me from chapter 15. This is what uh, John writes down. When they had finished eating, it was breakfast time. They were on the the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus prepared their breakfast. And it says, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. 
you know that I love you? Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and where, went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter will glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. In a nutshell, what Peter and Jesus do here is a restoration or a reinstatement to service. You see, this are maybe like 10 days after the resurrection. Jesus only stood on earth about 40 days after the resurrection, but he never stood with the disciples all the time. He kind of just appeared and disappeared. He was a glorified Christ at that time. He could do that. So he and the disciples are together, and he restores Peter to service in all of these questions, the three questions. When he says, feed my sheep, basically says, come back and serve me. Come back and serve me. But when we talk about reinstatement or restored to service, it means that we are assuming, and if you look in your Bible, that's what it says in this passage, is the reinstatement of Peter. We are assuming that Peter has fallen off, that he has done something that pushed him away from serving Christ. And he's not only serving Christ, but he's doing other things. And Christ brings them back. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? What, where is your heart? Come back and serve me. And I, um, I like us to just look at these three moves, you know, in the text. It's a narrative. It's, a, it's, a histor- it's, a, it's just a nice story that, that, that goes in chapter 21. But it's linked to these three moves. First, we are going to look at Peter's failure, his denial of Christ. And then we are going to look at Peter's restoration. And then we are just shortly going to look at what does it mean for us. But let's start with Peter's failure. You see Peter, one of, one, of, one of the disciples, maybe the leader of the, the twelve. He was so glad to follow Christ, right? It was popular for him to follow Christ. But something terrible happened in this. And I'm not sure if you went through moments that changed your life. It can be a tragedy. It can be a sudden death of a loved one. When you go to a tragic trauma or maybe... You were in an accident that almost killed you and your family. Or maybe somebody was there that you killed in an accident. And people have these things that happen to them, big, huge traumas. Maybe you were in an earthquake or in a fire or in a flood. And what those things do to us is redefine who we are. Some people cannot recover ever from a tragedy, from a trauma. And I want to say that Peter's trauma was double. First of all, it was something that it happened to his master. It was so popular to be a disciple of Christ before the crucifixion. They will go into a town. It was popular. Jesus was popular. People will come. Crowds, big crowds of people. 5,000 men were there when he fed them. When he went to a village, there were so many people that they had to tear down the roof and bring somebody ill. Everybody who was ill will come to see Jesus, and they were healed. He fed people. He gave sight to the blind. He helped the cripple. It was popular to be with Jesus. 
In fact, Peter was one of the inner circle disciples, he and two of others, who went with Jesus on the mountaintop. And he had the opportunity to have not only Jesus, but Moses and Elijah. And he said, let's build tents here. Let's sit here, Lord. Let's live here together. It was popular to be with Jesus. And in fact, a few days just before the crucifixion and, and, and the death of Christ, they were fighting. They said, Two of them said, well, Lord, can you have me sit on the right hand and my brother on the left hand? And can we just be there in your kingdom? And suddenly something happens. And the Lord that they admired, the popularity, suddenly in that, in that circumstance when he was crucified, following Jesus became something very unpopular. It was not any more fashionable to say that you are a disciple of Christ when he was dying on the cross. They were all scattered. They were all scattered. It was a trauma for Peter to look at Christ on the cross and to see him dying. He never thought of it. In fact, he promised, he said, Christ, if they will put you in prison, I will go with you to prison. And if they want to kill you, I will go to death. And in fact, when, when they arrest him, he takes the sword and he wants to fight. Remember, and he cuts one ear of one of the, of the soldiers. And Peter says, I will fight to death for you. But to see Jesus going like a lamb to the slaughter, laying on the cross, was not popular for Peter. It was an earth-shaking experience for him. And now, about 10 days after that event, yeah, they received the word, peace be with you. But then Jesus went away, disappeared again from them. So what's their mission they were with six other disciples, Peter and six others, seven of them, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And they were without a mission, without a vision, without a direction. They had no idea where, which way to go. And Peter, what do you do in those circumstances? Peter goes back to what he knows, to what's comfortable, to what's give him support and security. What does he know? He says, I'm going fishing. I know how to fish. Even before... Christ came into my life, you know, and, and we follow him. I was a fisherman. I'm going fishing. I'm going back to my old ways. I'm going back to what I know. If I follow those principles, I get results. And I, you don't get disappointed like we did with Jesus and confused. And that's what we do when something traumatic happens. We appeal to things that comfort us. Maybe it's your mother's food, you know. I also like comfort food, you know, when I feel bad, I like salty and sweet then, you know, because it's too salty and then you eat sweet and then you go back and forth, you know. You have to balance it out and never stops, right? <laughs> Remember those kids that they have a comfort blanket, you know. They go everywhere with the blanket, it's like a rag, but they still hold on to it because that's something that gives them comfort. They need to have that to go to bed in peace at night. If you pull that out, they start screaming. I'm not sure what your comfort is, but that's what Peter does. He goes back to his comfort blanket. He says, I need security. In this world that I, that I, I, I don't understand, I need security. So he goes back. The others say, we'll go with you. The others are even more confused than, than him because they don't know what they're doing. Some of them were, maybe Matthew, what was Matthew doing there, right? Matthew was a tax collector. Going fishing? What are you doing, Matthew? Are you re retooling yourself or repositioning? So they say, we'll go. And all of them go. And they start going deep down. It was evening and into the lake. And Peter said, let me teach you. I'm a pro here. And he takes the net and throws it. And says, I know exactly where the fish are. And he starts to pull that net, right? He says, I, I'm going to show you because I'm the pro here. And we'll have food. Don't worry. We'll make some money too. 
and we'll have something successful to do. And he pulls it out, and there's nothing there. And they say, well, no, 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 I know another place. Just, just don't worry. Goes in another place. It's like 12 o'clock now, midnight. He throws the net there and says, just be quiet. Don't, don't scare the fish, okay? And he pulls the net. And it's empty, no fish. And they say, well, no, no, let me, there's a twist here. I need to do my twist, and you'll see. And then he goes in another place and, and does the twist. And then he says, you just be quiet. Let, let it sit maybe half an hour so that the fish can come. And then he pulls the net. You'll see now, you'll see. And there's nothing there. And he's so stressed out about it, he takes out his garment, and he's like in the, in the underwear. In, in the King James Version, in fact, it says that he was basically naked because he just worked like crazy because he wanted to prove that he can still do something that works. And he goes like that all night, and suddenly they look towards the shore. Nothing works, you know. Have you ever had that? You go back to things that you say, I know how to do those things. And nothing works, you know. Nothing works. And basically, in those moments when nothing works for them, they are in the morning, kind of the morning comes, it's still dark outside, they see a figure on the shore. And the guy says, friends, have you got any fish? Friends, have you got any fish? What do you say? Have you ever been fishing and there's nothing that you can bring home? You almost want to say, I'll, I'll stop by the store and buy some, you know, just to save face, you know, and just show my wife something, right? So embarrassing, you know, you go in the whole night. But you can work on anything else. You can work for an exam, and you lose the exam. You don't pass it. You study hard. You, you, it can be a business. You say, I, I put years in it. I, I work hard. It can be a family, and it still falls apart. It can be a relationship. It could be an investment. And you said, I, I trusted this, this thing, and everything falls apart. And then the guy from the shore said, throw to the right side of the boat. Throw the net on the right side. And then the disciples looked maybe and said, well, who's this smart Alec, you know, to tell us, you know, what to do? I am the pro here, right? And, but still, they throw it on the right side of the boat. And they say, let's go home. But the, suddenly the, the net is heavy. They cannot even move it. They, they, there's no way they can lift it. So they, they start towing it. And when they do that, John, the disciple, realizes that that happened. It was like a deja vu for him, you know. He remembers that when he was first called into ministry, he was in the same situation. And Jesus said, after Peter and the sons of the Zebedees were fishing and caught nothing, Jesus said, just throw the net on this side. And again, they say, well, there's no fish here. But because you said so, that's what they do. They say, we throw the fish here. And they throw, and when they pull out, the nets start to break. And even the boats start to break because there were so many fish. But this time, they, thought they, they cannot even, nothing breaks. But they cannot, they have to tow the thing. They cannot even raise anything out of the water. But when John remembers this, he says, it is the Lord. That guy there on the shore is the Lord. I remember now. Peter, what he does, Peter, naked, he takes some clothes on and jumps into the water. And they are on this side pulling, pulling the big catch and and I don't have a net, but just imagine that this is the thing, right? In the first service, I cannot broke it, but it didn't, you know, it, it shouldn't break, you know. It broke the first time, you know. But um, it's the big catch. The disciples are with a big catch, and they say, Peter, come. This is it. Everything you invested on, it's here. Big, big fish. This is the big one. Come back. And what is Peter doing? He says, you can have that. 
I'm in the water and I'm swimming. I go. I go that way. I go to the shore. You can have all the world. And I like one, how one pastor said, you, Peter looked back and said, you can have all the world. I want Jesus. Give me Jesus. What does it do to gain the whole world and lose sight of Jesus? So Peter says, I left everything. And then he goes on. And as he goes on, he finds Jesus by a fire. And right there is a fire with fish on it and bread. And Jesus says, come to breakfast. Can you imagine Peter? All wet, soaking wet. His clothes are wet. Just came out of the water. And Jesus says, you thought that you left the fish there? You thought that you left something for me and then I will give you nothing? You don't have raw fish. You have cooked fish. Sit down and eat. Come and have breakfast. Here is bread and here is the fish. Eat. But as he stayed by that fire, and I like King James again, he says, as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals. You see, there was a fire of coals that just a few days earlier, it was in the priest's palace. It says, and the servants who were in the priest's palace and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals. A few nights earlier, Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Jesus was just arrested minutes earlier. Peter goes into the, pal- the, the priest's palace, and one of the girls looks at him and says, I think you are one of his disciples. And he says, no, 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 no. Uh, you're mistaken. Then he sits by the fire. There's another guy who says, your accent, you speak like a Galilean, like a Romanian. You know? We know you are not Dutch. You know? and, and he says, no, 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 no. I, I, I was born in Bronx. You know, I can speak whatever accent I want. You know, look at me and... And, you know, what do you want? Do you want east, west, south, north? You know, I can speak like anybody. I can even have a, a German accent or, well, he denies Christ a second time. And the third time he denies Christ when somebody says, you know what? I am a relative of the guy that you just chopped your ear off. I saw you in the olive grove. You are that guy. And says, no way, I'm not that guy. I don't know who that Jesus is. In that moment, Jesus locks eyes with him. And looks at him. And the Bible says that Jesus looks at him and Peter remembered what he told him earlier. He said, tonight, today, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And then the rooster crows. Denying his master, the rabbi. And it says that Peter left the courtyard and went out and wept bitterly. He knew that what he did is, he showed that he has no backbone. And he cannot keep his promises. So he's sitting here by, by the fire that Jesus prepared for him. It was intentionally that Jesus brought him back to a place where they can reconcile. The sin of Peter was a public sin. Everybody else knew. Peter was surrounded by so many other disciples. Maybe some of them heard. So many other people in the city. So he had to be restored. It was a public sin, public denial. And as they sit by this fire... There is a dialogue. Jesus leaves the other disciples and starts to talk only with Peter. And there are three questions that he asks Peter. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So it was the fire, the disciples, and suddenly Peter is asked, do you love me more than these? What a question is that, right? First of all, 
calls him Simon, son of John. You see, Christ changed Peter's name to Peter. He was not named Peter. Peter means rock. And he promised, on this rock I will build my church, and I, you, you have the kingdoms. But suddenly says, Peter, Simon of John, doesn't say Peter, you are not anymore a rock. You proved yourself, and one theologian says that the name that he uses is, means a pebble. You are a pebble now. Remember, just the night when he was betrayed, Jesus looked at Peter and said, you know what, Peter? Satan has asked to sift you like grain. Simon, son of John, you who are just like a pebble, if you, if you blow hard on a pebble, you can move it. If you sift a pebble, it can go sometimes through, through the net down. Not a rock. But he says, Simon, you who are a pebble. And somebody else said, Peter felt like a jellyfish, you know. A man that has no inside, no backbone, nothing. He cannot claim anything. He's naked. He is wet there in front of Jesus. But he's exposed who he is. He is a man who cannot stand by his rabbi. He denied his master. And there's nothing he can do to change his past. But Jesus is there to change his future. And that's what he does. Peter says, even if all of this fall away, I will not follow you. So that's why Jesus says, do you love me? And the, the word that he uses, he uses there, love, it's agape love. Do you love me more than this? It's either more than the disciples, or some people say maybe more than the fish, the business, and everything else. But if you think of what, Jesus, what Peter said before, it may, makes more sense to say that Peter thought that his love for Christ is superior to everybody else's love. He says, even if all of these disciples fall away on account of you, I will never do it. You know, I'm, I'm superior, Peter said. I, I have a superior devotion to you, Christ. So then Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But the word love is not the same word that Jesus. If you look at Jesus, Lord, word love is agape love, 100% love. The, God, the love that Paul talks in Corinthians, the love that covers everything, suffers everything, goes through everything. But Peter says, I cannot have 100% love for you. I've proven myself. I can have 60%. Filio. It's a kind of love. It's an affection for you. But, but Lord, you will have to accept that. I cannot claim what I claimed before. And then the second question is, well, and, and then the answer is, feed my lambs. Yeah, you go into mission now. 60%. I will take it, Jesus says. You go into mission. Feed my lambs. The lambs are the young ones. Young in faith. Wounded. Wounded by the life. They sometimes need to be picked up. But Jesus says, come back and serve me. I give you mission and I give you purpose. Feed my lambs. And that's what we do here. We even call our younger ministry little lambs, right? And we have all sorts of ministries for middle schoolers and then for young people and support groups for men and for women. We try to develop a men's ministry basically. But we try to say, we want to feed the lambs of Christ. But then the second question is, some of John, do you love me again? The same love. Do you have a 100% love? And Peter this time says, yes, you know it's only 60%. I cannot claim more, no matter how hard I time. And, then, and the Lord says, good. Take care of my sheep. Watch my sheep. Protect them. And that's what we have. We have compassion funds here at the church. We try to do that. And we need people to do that, to take care of each other. 
We have Samaritan meals where we take meals to those who are in need. We have a visiting team. Basically, it's not a big deal, but once a month, you visit people, somebody who needs a visit. It can be somebody who is lonely, somebody who deals with a long-term battle with illness or other sorts of things. Feed my sheep, he says. Simon, the third time, son of John, do you love me? And then he says, yes, you know all things. I don't need to tell you anything. I don't need to pretend that I am something I am not. You know all things, Lord. And that's the third time. He gets angry. Angry. He's angry. How can you ask me third time? But for every denial, Christ brings a restoration. You are restored to service, Peter. You can serve me. Come back. Don't look at your past. Look at your future. Come and feed my sheep. Two months ago, we hired a new... Um, leader in our youth department, Eric O'Connell. And um, I will invite him to come here. And Eric uh, started ministry with our youth. And it's one thing in which you understand how Hillside is doing this thing. And I will invite Eric to just share one of his um, moments when he felt God's call in his life to serve. Um, <clears throat> my call to ministry came after years of really bad life decisions, uh, mainly partying in high school. Uh, I made a lifestyle of disobeying God, being selfish, and satisfying the desires of my flesh. Uh, one day in high school, uh, I got in a car when I was 15 years old, didn't have a license, uh, while I was inebriated, and I went and picked up my mom from work. And when I picked her up, she knew right away, and like a responsible adult, she disciplined me. Uh, but my mom, she was terrified of being in my physical presence, um, and didn't want to be anywhere near me for the next couple of weeks because she knew I was doing drugs and making bad life decisions. Um, as weeks went on, communication between my mom and I became virtually non-existent. I would be in the house, and I would say hello to her, and she wouldn't even acknowledge me. And I got very upset, and I got very angry with her. And uh, I demanded that she speak to me, even though I was making bad life decisions. I, I wanted her to forgive me. Uh, and that's when she told me that the reason she could hardly stand to look at me was, unfortunately, at the age of you know, 19 years old, uh, she was raped by my biological father. And she could hardly stand to look at me um, because that was a close friend of hers who was an alcoholic and a drug addict. And I actually resembled uh, him physically. And that was the event that led to my conception. And she had not seen him since. But since I physically resembled my biological father, seeing me in a state of inebriation, it scared her to death. And it brought back to her memory the most, the most horrible, the most painful memory of her life in a vivid and real way. And she could barely handle being anywhere near me. And this news rocked me to my core as I, just, I wrestled with being a mistake. I, I had no idea why God wanted me on this earth. Um, if my own mom didn't even plan to have me and didn't even want me, you know, what in the world would my purpose be? But fortunately, the punishment for my actions was being forced to go to youth group. And uh, that first night that I went to youth group, I met my youth pastor and my future best friend and mentor. And I told him everything that I was struggling with, how I felt that God didn't want me here, how my mom didn't want me here, and how I didn't know what my purpose in life was. And what he said next would change my life forever. He said, Eric, you can either continue to make poor life decisions, and you, be, you can become exactly the kind of man that your father was. Or you can give your life over to Christ, and you can become a man who helps save men like your father before they destroy their lives. And that just totally clicked with me. I bought in, I gave my life over to Christ that night. And since then, my life has been devoted to ministering to youth so that I can be an agent of change for the glory of God. 
Since then, I've devoted my life to feeding his lambs and caring for his sheep. Thank you, Eric. So he was one of those people pulled into the service. He heard the call of Christ, feed my sheep, feed my love. So what about us? You know, do you love Jesus? That's, that's, that's a simple question, but it's a deep question because he doesn't say, do you believe in who I am? He says, do you love me? And what we can do is just bring maybe 50, 60% of our love and say, Jesus, you need to do the work. You need to transform my heart so I can get to 100%. There's nothing that I can bring to you. But I can offer my heart to you. Remember what Calvin College emblema has? It comes from Calvin. It's a heart and two hands. And it says, My heart I offer to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. And that's what he wants us. He looks at Peter and says, Do you love me? Mary, John, Mark, Kurt, do you love me? If you love me, then you are called to service. Don't let your past define you. You see, what's interesting is, at the beginning of this chapter, it says, Simon Peter and Thomas, the apostle, were there, and a few others. Not all of them are named. Thomas, when you say Thomas, what do you remember? Thomas, the doubtful. Thomas is a disciple who, unfortunately, we are linking him with one of his blunders. He had a big capital mistake because he doubted the resurrection of Christ and Christ came to him just in chapter 20, a few verses before and said, put your finger in the hole in my hand. Thomas, do you believe now? And he said, yes, I believe. And the history tells us he was an apostle to the people in India and so many other places. God used him. But what do we do? Remember him? We define him that he's doubtful. We still hate Thomas the doubtful. No, he died as a martyr for Christ. Don't let your past define who you are. We are told in the Old Testament that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you know what, who Jacob was? Jacob was a liar and a cheater. He was fighting with his own family. And God, in fact, changed his name from Jacob to Israel. But he never calls himself God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He still calls himself, I am the God of the broken ones, the liars, and the thieves, and the, the ones that fight with their brothers and with their own family. Because I can change your heart the way you are. Just come to me. Give me my, your heart promptly and sincerely, and I will call you to service. And that's what Jesus wants us to do this morning. Restored back to service. It doesn't matter how many failures you had. It doesn't matter how hard life hit you. He says, come back. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care of the ones that I entrusted to you. It is his church. We are his people. It is not our church. It is his church. And he says, feed my lambs. I entrust these lambs to you. Feed them. Take care of them. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ Jesus and for Peter and for reinstating Peter to ministry. We thank you, Jesus, that you loved us and you also require love from us. May we respond by loving you and then serving you. Thank you that you call us to take care of each other. 
to watch over each other, to lift up each other, to mend the relationship that need to be mended, to lift up those who are downtrodden, to bring hope to those who are hopeless, and healing in your name to those who need healing. We ask that you will continue to bless each and every one of us to be a servant of yours in our family as fathers, as children, as grandparents, as siblings, as neighbors, and as citizens of this beautiful country. We thank you ev for everything you give us and for the call to serve. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and receive God's greeting? If you need to pray with somebody, please use the prayer room here on this side of the auditorium. The God who calls us to serve Him and to love Him. May He bless you. May the Father, with His love and the love and the sacrifice of the Son, the fellowship of His Holy Spirit, empower you to love and serve the Lord as you go out and bless the community in which you live. Amen. You may go in peace.